From Cambridge 105 Radio, this is The Business of Cambridge with Sue Keogh. Series 2, Episode 8, Recruitment, is supported by Third Light, transforming how marketers collaborate and manage their digital media. and welcome to the business of Cambridge. Coming up shortly, our money expert will be offering advice for businesses navigating their way through Brexit. But first of all, we're talking recruitment. In some sectors, COVID disruption has meant a huge increase in demand for services. I bet the HR teams at Zoom, Slack and Netflix have been pretty busy. But for others, it's been a case of using the furlough scheme or maybe laying people off entirely. With me to explore the implications are Sahini Biswas from Scat Recruitment, an agency which deals with early years recruitment for nurseries and schools, and Toby Young from Bailey Fisher, who hire boards and management executives for tech companies. Sahini, talk me through spring 2020 with the sudden nursery closures. What was the immediate impact on your business and staff? So the first lockdown affected us really badly. It hit us quite sharply, actually. We had to shut down completely as nurseries and schools had to close. We had to put our staff on furlough, which we did as soon as we were made aware that it can be done. So initially, it was quite overwhelming, uh, obviously, because uh, January, February is kind of our busiest time of the year. And suddenly from there, it went down to completely no work at all. So yes, it was pretty hard to deal with when it all started and quite overwhelming, like every other businesses faced. Yes, I can imagine. And and just to give me a fuller picture, how big is the team? How many people do you have on your books? We have about 85 people, 90, 85 to 90 people. And obviously they kind of rotate because sometimes people leave and then new joiners come in. But yes, usually it's about 85 to 90 people on the books uh, going out to nurseries and preschools mostly. But we do work with a few of the independent schools as well for the early years. So that amount of people, is there's quite an admin task around that as well, I imagine, just the communication. <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> I'm just and getting a I picture think... of your, your March and April in 2020. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that is why I think us, because we do our admin work still ourselves. So Desi, my business partner, she looks after most of the admin side and the accounts. And I mostly deal with clients, the social media marketing side of it. So for both sides, it was a sudden change. And uh, initially, we didn't know what to do with the extra time we got. So we did get a bit panicky and completely stressed out. However, I think it also gave us the opportunity to think of things that we have always wanted to do, but never had the time to get around doing it. And it also gave us a lot of time to engage with our existing staff and getting to know them better. So we created this uh, WhatsApp chat group, which we never had before. And we did, you know, silly little things like uh, photography challenges and some Fitbit challenges to just to keep each other busy and give each other that company because obviously first lockdown was quite hard and nobody knew what's going to happen. 
So, Toby, tell me about you. Was there an immediate impact on your business or was it slower to take effect? So there was an immediate impact. It was pretty chaotic, I think, for most businesses adapting to a new way of working. And and obviously we, we were going through the process of hiring a, a number of senior execs for businesses in Cambridge and across the UK. And all those processes effectively went on hold overnight. You know, I think people really struggled to envisage how they were going to hire new, uh, individuals without meeting them but it was amazing how quickly that then changed and I think it was probably only two three weeks where we had a, a period of uncertainty when and then quite quickly organization recognized that we were in this situation for some time and they needed to adapt and and a lot of organizations quickly adapted not just from from a hiring perspective but in a, in a number of different ways and um, we were lucky in the fact that the, the impact although significant, didn't last that long. Just tell me a little bit more about that then, Toby, the interview process, because there's so much you pick up when you're in the same room as someone, all of those little subtle signals about how someone behaves. I'm always keen to see if someone's nice to receptionists and (laughs) other people in the building. (laughs) All those extra little signals that you don't get when, you know, 12 o'clock comes, you're on a Zoom call, boom, there you go. So how have you changed your interview process when talking to applicants? Yeah, it's a great question and one that a lot of people were asking and, and, and still ask because you know everyone's had to make hires through the use of, of Zooms and other video conferencing solutions. So people quite quickly realise that you could interview and you could interview well through these different ways. And organisations have really improved the way that they interview. So there's less chit-chat. People are now asking the harder questions much earlier in an interview process. They're spending more time with candidates because it's it doesn't it's not such a lengthy time to get to an interview and take time out of your day to do it. So people have adapted and and I think are now running much better interview processes, much slicker, um, much more to the point, and are making better hiring decisions. How about with you, Sahini? So with Toby's line of work, he'll be talking to senior executives and asking about leadership and track record and results and all of that kind of stuff, whereas you're trying to assess whether someone is going to be good when they're working with children. So how have you adapted your interview processes? Have you put more practical tests in place, for example? Yes, so obviously for uh, working with children, we have to rely strictly on the compliance process. Also, we work very closely with REC, the Recruitment and Employment Confederation, and they kept us updated with all the latest procedures in place and what we should do, what we cannot do. So they conduct a lot of webinars and they still have been doing them throughout the whole of last year and even now. So interview-wise, we obviously had to adapt to the video interviewing. And, you know, when they work with children, we have to rely a lot on seeing the actual candidate face-to-face to see their body language, how they behave. So, yes, initially I would say it was a bit of a difficult switch but it's not that bad. So doing this for the last six years, we kind of can judge a person f- through their email interactions as well. I know it's it's hard to believe, but uh, when you're a recruiter... I do that all the time. <laughs> yes. 
exactly. So when you're a recruiter, you know that, you know, okay, this person does not sound right uh, just by reading uh, an email or an application. So yes, we have obviously introduced a lot new forms to fill out, which can be painful, but they have been doing it absolutely fine. And we just do the checks more thoroughly and take more references and um, if needed, we do more, you know, see that person more than once. So, yes, I'm in Zoom for now. It works absolutely fine. So on the business of Cambridge today, we're talking about recruitment. And I've got Sahini Biswas from SCAT Recruitment with me and Toby Young from Bailey Fisher. Toby, tell me about how much the workforce is shifting. I was talking to a friend of mine who works in HR in the gaming industry the other day. And she said that there's been a real drop in terms of turnover of staff. And I don't know if it's people feeling hesitant, kind of waiting to move when this is all blown over. But what are the trends that you've seen yourself? I think that um, one of the big challenges for us as a business over the past year is getting people interested in, in making a move. I think people are generally pretty loyal to the organisations they work with and every organisation has gone through an element of, of crisis over the past year. So people have, have generally remained in their roles. However, the organisations that we're lucky enough to work with are often at the, the forefront and cutting edge of their technology sector. So people will move and but they have to they'll only move for the right opportunity have you found that there's been a an increase in applicants from other parts of the country who wouldn't in previous years be applying for these kind of roles in cambridge but because of this acceptance of remote working are now starting to apply that hasn't really impacted us at, at the level that we work with but in in terms of conversations with organizations that we do work with yes i think certainly from a software development perspective you know, it, it's now much easier to hire, not only from anywhere in the UK, but across Europe and, and potentially globally. So there are certain teams within organisations that will probably now go fully remote. And we've certainly seen that with, with a number of clients um, where historically they've had teams of developers in the office and now they're very happy for them to be based effectively anywhere. At the senior level, yes, certain roles, you know, have always allowed, so for example, a chief commercial officer or sales director has often not been based within Cambridge and has worked remotely and that, that's something that happened prior to the pandemic and with the increased focus on remote working it does widen the, the general candidate pool and, and I think what will be very interesting to see how it emerges over the next couple of years is, is that remote working versus a team being in the office. I think everyone's in agreement that we probably won't all go back to working five days a week but you do miss a lot and, and a number of organizations that at the start of the pandemic that I've worked with have said you know well this is great and you know it's going to change the working way forever and now that's gone full circle and everyone's like you know we have lost a lot of the culture across the organization you know we miss those water cooler chats and those are the difference between making organizations often very successful so I think the verdict is still out on how organizations will look look over the next couple of years you know me myself you know I miss being in the office with my colleagues I love people I you know it's what partly the reason why I do my job and I think there are certain people that have really struggled with phone working pretty much the whole time so it's, it's, it's as I say it's going to be very interesting to see how it develops. How about with you Sahini and the sort of candidates that you're working with have you had to adapt your own model 
to suit? I mean, it, there's been these shifts, I imagine, for you with nurseries either being open or suddenly shut. <laughs> so how have you adapted the, the kind of working practices with your candidates? For us, it was not a huge change, I would say, because obviously uh, our candidates are always working at the client settings. So that kind of continues even now. So they are also, you know, frontline workers. They're going out to work. And I think COVID and last year, it has shown also the importance of the earlier sector, to be honest. I mean, it, it is unfortunately a very neglected sector and it's not recognized as much as it should be. They are looking after our children while we can, you know, work or do our own business and meetings and everything at home. So that way it hasn't changed much. So they used to go to work and they're still going to work. As for us, we have always worked from home. So even for us, it hasn't changed a lot, I would say. Toby, can we talk about Brexit? Is there much of an impact from Brexit on the kind of candidates that you're working with? I think everyone's been impacted in terms of, from a recruitment perspective, with Brexit. We've obviously seen a number of European citizens kind of return home over the past couple of years. And historically, we've moved a lot of people from Europe to come and work and live in Cambridge. And, and that has, has dramatically decreased over the past year. It doesn't mean that individuals are you know, not working for Cambridge companies, that they will simply work remotely. But, you know, there, there, there's still the question of, having someone in the office three or four days a week is that still you know that can still be of great benefit to organizations especially with some of the technology companies that we work with that are just starting out and are relatively small you know it's important that you're in the office for a few days a week and that is a challenge so the candidate pool is certainly limited in terms of people in europe who are afraid no longer you know are wishing to to move here currently and how about early years recruitment, Sahini? For us, I would say it is quite early to say how it's going to impact our business. Uh, I mean, having said that, we do have many staff uh, who are from European countries, but fortunately they, they have all applied for their settlement and so far it's, it's been okay. So we will know in a, in a few months' time how it's going to affect because... So far, we can still see people coming in and applying for jobs. So we just have to wait and watch, to be honest, Sue. Continuing on the theme of looking ahead, Sahini, what do you think are the, the trends that we've got ahead of us? Is there anything from the way that you've adapted your approach that you're going to carry on doing even as the world begins to open up again? Yes, uh, I mean, that's what we are uh, very happy about, that we could adapt to the changes pretty quickly. The whole concept of normal uh, for everybody has changed. However, it did give us, especially the first lockdown, it gave us the time to really think and work on things that we have been wanting to do for quite some time. So we rebranded and we started a new side of the business, a new branch, you, if you might say. And it's a training academy and uh, we offer... Uh, more than 200 courses which are online mostly so that kind of takes the business towards you know a, an online platform as well so that mm. was our way of 
adapting to the change because um, we always wanted to have a training side where we could train and develop our own staff and offer the same to our clients as well. So it, it can be like a total package where if you get you know, staff from us, you get to access this training side as well for your own staff. So we managed to actually work on that and it took a couple of months to get it sorted. But yeah, so here we are. So now we don't just have the recruitment side. We also have our own training academy where we offer all sorts of first aid courses, which are obviously classroom based. Uh, but then there are more than 200 online courses that covers courses from almost all sectors. So we have office based courses, we have mental health, we have health and safety and obviously first aid and even risk assessment. So it is suitable for every business. Well, that's fantastic and I think a lot of companies have found that where they've put things in place kind of either because they've had to or they've been sitting on this idea for quite a while and then mm -hmm. okay right we've got to make this happen just never had the time lasting. yeah <laughs> um and how about you Toby then what what does the next year have in store for you as things start to open up again yeah, we're so lucky. The fact that you know we we get to live and work in Cambridge, you know, from a from a technology perspective, it really is the the tech capital of Europe and and has a, an influence on the on the global technology world. So we're we're seeing sectors of the technology market go from strength to strength. So clean technology is something that you know is an area that Cambridge has focused on over the years, and and that will go from as I say from strength to strength there's a lot of money going into that sector and is a, is going to be a hopefully a positive result of the pandemic is a, a move to a, a cleaner and, and and greener world so we're seeing a lot of activity in that sector along with you know healthcare and life sciences which again is an area that Cambridge has a huge amount of success in and that will continually grow there's a number of organizations in Cambridge that have directly um, had an impact on resolving you know the covid crisis so that's going to continue and we'll see various other successful companies emerge from from the whole cambridge ecosystem thank you so much sahini biswas from scout recruitment and toby young from bailey fisher you're listening to the business of cambridge brought to you by third light I'm joined now by Kelly Anstey from Taxwag, who has been helping business owners navigate their way through the changes that have come about due to Brexit. Kelly, which are the sectors that you're seeing particularly affected by Brexit? I think the biggest areas that are affected are going to be sort of the food industry, the auto industry, you know, there's a lot of changes going on there, the finance industry, and then obviously agriculture as well. They're the four that I see that are going to be changing rapidly. And what sort of challenges <laughs> are you seeing that people are, are having to face? I think just the whole import-export part of it, you know, we're in a very small island and you can't just drive a car here, it's got to go over the water. We've only got a certain amount of land in the UK to grow food on, therefore we have to rely on places outside of here to help us. And that's where it's going to kick in, I think, the, the biggest differences for those kind of businesses. 
I mean, it's going to affect everyone. We've been through the year of resilience. You know, everyone's had to come up with these new processes for being digital and working remotely, etc. And yeah, now we've got Brexit. So the VAT is probably the biggest change in the whole Brexit thing. You know, if you do imports and exports, then be prepared for it to be dealt with differently. From the beginning of 2021, obviously, that was when Brexit sort of started to kick in. We're all aware of sort of the travel restrictions and stuff like that that have been placed on us as a country. However, there's lots of work things that are going to be affected so for example I would just like to confirm and I don't know if everybody's aware of this but you're still protected for the first 85 grand's worth of money that's sitting in your bank with a UK regulated bank it means ideally if that bank goes down then the 85,000 pounds in that bank account is secure if you have more than that that's cool just put it in another bank account but that's something that's going to remain thankfully because it did worry me a little bit I mean it's nice to have the <laughs> the limit there where you're protected the trading in the EU might become a little bit more challenging just because of the way the V VAT rules change, as I said. Some things aren't going to change. You know, I've heard that the UK banks actually have shut down bank accounts for people that are um, British expats. I can see why they've done that. But I think if you were perhaps someone that was living abroad and not expecting that, that wouldn't have been great. So like the biggest changes that you'll see in those terms is dispatches have now become exports. Acquisitions have now become imports. Um, and there's a big change between business to consumer or business to business trading. For example, business to consumer sales are no longer subject to EU distance rules. You know, you can zero rate your exports as long as they satisfy the fact that the goods are physically imported within three months of the time of supply. And that you've got your export evidence and you've got to keep that paperwork like you do with all sort of business stuff. But freight paperwork would, or freight paperwork, I should say, <laughs> would be the best way you can do it. There's postponed VAT accounting rules as well. Um, that's on imports from anywhere. So, you know, if you feel like you've not quite got yourself up to date in terms of the VAT changes, don't worry. You've got a little bit of time to sort it out. And there's some new rules on things that are worth £135 or less. All importers are going to need their EORI number. Um, if you're in the industry, you've probably already been advised from the Inland Revenue. There is one thing, though, that I think is quite important about the change that's happening with this is it's going to reduce a cash flow disadvantage. So if your business is VAT registered in the UK, you can then account for your input VAT on your VAT return for goods that are imported from anywhere in the world. So that means I effectively that you can declare and recover your input VAT on the same return rather than sort of paying it up front and recovering it later on which is something that most VAT registered businesses are used to the rules regarding what can and can't be reclaimed won't change obviously but one thing I do find really interesting is that online marketplaces like Amazon other online marketplaces are available they have to carry out the VAT checks on the overseas sellers behalf so at least that way you know that there's a lot less involved when you're doing a purchase and so a lot of companies, maybe they don't import or export physical products. So they might be thinking, oh, Brexit regulations don't necessarily apply to them. But what about things like data? Data is an important one. For example, we've been subject to GDPR now for a little while. And now we're not part of the EU. It has changed slightly. I think the rules are still going to be the same in terms of having to, you know, collect the data and store it safely, etc. There's six steps that you should really follow that you want to be looking at your standards and make sure that you comply with the new GDPR and also the ICO. I've had a lot of people contacting me recently, actually, about the ICO which is the Information of Commissioners 
office and they are asking for more people to be registered with their data now. If you hold data on clients or customers, you must look after it and declare who you share that data with. It's just the rules, really. You've got to look at the data in the UK and decide whether or not it goes across to the EEA and then whether or not you operate in Europe. There's also different rules that you have there. What about another thing that we see a lot in Cambridge, which is around workforce? People come from overseas to work in the science companies, technology, academia. So what's the impact there? Fruit picking. Fruit picking. (laughs) Let's not forget the fruit pickers. Yeah, yeah, they also exist. I think the most important thing is, you know, if you're going to be recruiting and you're going to be getting people from outside of the UK, you need to make sure that, you know, they can speak English and the job's through the home office and it's through a licensed sponsor and stuff like that. There's a lot of work around for people. So why not outsource it? You know, if you can get it a little bit cheaper somewhere else, I don't see why you can't. Any businesses that are reliant upon the EU nationals, they should encourage their staff to apply for the settlement scheme so they can carry on living and working in the UK. That would obviously be a problem if somebody wasn't here. I guess with the fact everything's more online now, it could be sort of got round. But, you know, you're going to be able to hire staff from EEA countries. The UK government have introduced like a new, it's quite controversial, but a new points-based system for immigration about how people come here and how they're going to be living and working. And they've got to gain a certain amount of points to be able to even get a visa. And yeah, that's sort of how it's going to start. So at least that way, there's a lot more paperwork about having to, you know, legitimise everything and make sure that everything's in place. And so with this extra paperwork that businesses are facing, do you think it's going to get easier over time as people get used to the regulations and the changes? I think, I mean, Brexit was a massive thing. It was so big. I'll I'll be honest with you, I voted Remain, but only because I didn't want to learn the VAT book again. But my plan didn't work because here we are talking about the VAT book. (laughs) Um, It's just the way it goes, you know. So, yeah, in my mind, I've been ready for this for a long time, but I guess I'm in the industry. So I think other people there... I mean, you've got to be resilient in business and you've got to keep it moving. So if it hasn't occurred to them already that there's going to be more paperwork to do, then I would just say, like, speak to someone that can help you and then perhaps outsource it. You know, if you haven't got the time to do it, that's absolutely fine. But just make sure it gets done. It's still part of, you know, your governance and your business. As I said, you can go out there and sell all day long, but don't forget that your business needs the support (laughs) and the structure of safety. And as I said, governance, again, just making sure you're doing everything properly. But then you can just, you know, sleep at night and go to work the next day and make sure everything's cool. Great. Kelly and Steve from Taxwag, thank you very much. Next time, we're talking tools and there's a distinctly bovine flavour to the show as well. Plus, essential tips on starting a new business. The Business of Cambridge was presented by Sue Keogh and brought to you in association with Third Light, transforming how marketers collaborate and manage their digital media. It's a TDC production for Cambridge 105 Radio and you can find previous episodes on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. Mm